Welcome to the Forex Analytics Community Experience, or FACE, podcast. Dale Pinkert interviews some of the sharpest and most knowledgeable people in the financial markets daily. Also, you can go directly to forexanalytics.com or find us on YouTube to watch these interviews live and get fresh, intraday macro and technical analysis of the currency, stock, and commodities markets daily from the Forex Analytics team. Our FACE show is free every trading day. Now here's your host, Dale Pinkert. Yeah, so Joseph, uh, people are calling you the Fed Whisperer in here. Welcome back to FACE. Hey, Dale. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So do you like that moniker, the Fed Whisperer? I, I think that's uh, that's very generous. I think it's taken already. I'm happy with Fed guy. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with your handle. So uh, I wanted to talk to you today about you know, so the last thing that you were writing about, because what's happening with the banks is uh, very important in some of my narratives. So um, your last article is talking about dollar deleveraging. And you made the point, uh, this is on your free letter, that um, foreign banks are actually under more duress than the regionals. And the regional, it's hard to imagine when I look at the regional chart, the KRE, that these banks are under more pressure than the regionals. Is it because they have the duration book that the regionals had? Uh, they're underwater and out of uh, long bond positions from the COVID days when rates were so low. The last time they were that low was the first civil war in the U.S., so yeah, so rates have gone up a lot. I I think another point that that's worth mentioning is just the profitability of how these banks work going forward. So as we all know, banks have short dated liabilities and longer dated assets, right? So when rates go up, well, that that could in in some cases squeeze their net interest margins because their short dated liabilities reset higher than their um, longer dated assets. Now that's in, in that's the theory, but in practice, that really impacts banks very differently. If you are Bank of America or JP Morgan, for example, I mean the Fed could hike rates to five percent, and you would you're basically still offering your depositors uh, something close to zero, and your depositors take it. You offer great services, you're too big to fail, and people just kind of accept lower deposit rates. So it doesn't really affect you that much. When you go down the ladder to the regional banks. You know, you see them trying to pay up a little bit more on their deposits. So that's squeezing their net interest margins. So making them less profitable. But now you, when you move out abroad, when you're looking at foreign banks, well, they're, that's a completely different ballgame because foreign banks, they don't really have a lot of retail depositors. If you're like in, you know, if you're in Thailand or if you're in Japan, there are people with dollar deposits. They're just not mom and pops. They tend to be corporations and institutional investors that are active in international trade or finance or something like that. So these guys, they want market rates. So when you go out of the country and, you know, the way that the dollar works, it's a global currency. So you have a lot of foreign banks with big dollar loan books doing making dollar loans uh, to international corporations. So those guys, they they don't have retail deposits. So when the Fed hikes rates, their funding costs really do go up to around 5%. And that's really squeezing their margins. And you can actually see them delevering. So their dollar loan book is shrinking at the fastest pace since the uh, 2008 great financial crises. In the US, we see that banks have basically, you know, 
uh, slow down their loan growth on aggregate to very, very, very low levels, but they haven't actually contracted. But you see outright contraction when you look outside of the country. And, and that's going to squeeze a lot of these foreign companies. And it's going to be very, uh, it's going to be a headwind for international trade because uh, let's say you're a company in Thailand or India or something like that, and, and you need to participate in international trade, you need dollars to do that. Dollars are basically a, uh, uh, the currency of trade, they facilitate international commerce and so forth, and, and now it's less available. So I, I think that's a headwind. And probably why you see there's this global manufacturing slump if you look at the PMI data. I think part yeah. of it is because a lot of companies they can't get the financing that they that they that they need. Okay. So I mean it's not only regionals, uh here's Goldman. So no, no, I, mean, I, I want to be clear though. This is the dollar banking business of foreign banks. Okay, it's just a right. small part of their overall business. So uh, it, it doesn't mean that they're 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 not doing well or anything. It's just that okay. they're one aspect of their business is under pressure. Okay. Yes, that's right. Uh, are, okay, so um, obviously not just the rates, but what has gone hand in hand with the rates has been a relentless move in the dollar to the upside, Joseph. Uh, uh, yeah, know, I was listening, listening to you guys' discussion. Uh, look so, at yeah. that. I mean, you know, since the bottom, we've had very, very few pullbacks. Uh, to me, this is pretty relentless. I know a lot of people are bearish a dollar. Um, I'm super bullish. Super, super bullish. I, I figured you would like this chart. Today. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, it's been a painful topic for a few months, but finally, yeah, I mean, it looks like it's hurting up. Um, oh, you so know, this I, whole... I, this whole process took time. Everything takes longer than you think it's going to take, doesn't it? So the way that I think about this, I think that so last last year, right? So we had yeah. significant dollar strength since the Fed was hiking so much more aggressive than everyone else. And that that I think that policy divergence made the dollar shine. I think we're about to see the return of that, but to in another way, in the sense that um, the Fed is going to be and so on the way up, the Fed hiked much more than everyone else. On the way yeah. down, the Fed is going to be much slower to cut than everyone else. Uh, okay. The reason simply has to do with how policy works internationally. So in the U.S., oh, well, there's a few things, moving parts. So in the U.S., Fed hiked, you know, probably going to hike one more time. Um, the, the economy you think still it'll is be doing, this month? This no, month? it's probably going to be, probably going to be December, I think. Okay. Um, so... Even though the Fed hiked aggressively, the U.S. economy is still doing really well. We're still growing above trend, um, and we have been for the past two quarters. And it looks like this quarter we are even doing going to do even better. Um, we have you know, strong fiscal deficits that are supportive of the economy, but we also have an economy that that's just not as interest rate sensitive. I mean, think about households. We all have thirty-year mortgages. That's yeah. totally not the case for many other countries. If you look at Canada, for example, you know. Those guys, they they, they are they're under a lot of pressure. Why? I mean, their their mortgages reset within They've five doubled. years. So a lot of people, yeah, and you can actually see the political pressure being built. So uh, Steve Sardensky has a really good um, Twitter thread where he's, where he's showing that the premiers of a few provinces in Canada are writing letters to Tiff Macklin, the governor of Bank of Canada, basically begging him to not hike rates. So you have, they're basically maxed out. It's, it doesn't today. seem like they're going to. Today yeah, will, yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. I don't think anyone thinks they're going to hike anymore, right? They, their okay. GDP numbers last time were negative. So, and they have political pressure. So it's probably not going to happen. So okay. they're, they're probably done and they're probably going to have to think about cutting 
in the coming months. And I think you can make the same case for the UK and probably to the Eurozone. The Eurozone is a bit more complicated because uh, it's more, more of a political aspect. But I think that if you look at data for some of the big Eurozone countries, it's very clear that countries like Germany are, are not doing well. So they really can't handle rates the same way the US can because their economies are more sensitive to it. So they're going to have to stop and they're going to have to cut first. So as that happens, I think the interest rate differential is going to widen between the US and others. And we'll see the replay of what happened last year with the dollar continuing to strengthen. Do you have levels where you would be uh, looking for maybe your so I'm going to have to, huh? I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to definitely defer to, to the guys okay. here. I mean, you guys do the technical right. stuff. So but I was you thinking, think there's uh, duration of yeah. what you're saying is this is not going to be a uh, flash in the pan move from mid July to now, but this is going to have legs at least in time. Yeah, right. I think it's, I think it's going to, I think it's going to persist for, for the next few months. Okay. So again, again, things change, right? But for right. from what now it seems like just looking at how uh, our respective economies are doing and how monetary policy works, I, I think it I think it's going to I, I think it's going to play out for the for a few months at least. Okay. All right. So um another article uh called a drift at sea. Is that you and me or the US or the Fed? <laughs> uh who needs a lifeboat? So, you know, this is talking about interest rates. So um, I've been very, very um, bearish on bonds. So I've been thinking interest rates would be structurally higher. I've uh, been writing about this for some time. And I think we've, we're seeing this happen. So there's two things driving this. The one that I've been focusing on in the past really has been supply. I mean, basic demand, right? Supply and demand. Just tremendous, tremendous amounts of supply. And I think the market is catching on. We had an article in you know, a generic mainstream publication, the Wall Street, uh, the Wall, Washington Post talking about fiscal deficits. Now, that's one thing, and that's definitely an upward pressure for, for um, interest rates. But the second thing that I think it's a, a little bit new is that for the guys who are more fundamentally minded, guys who care about things like, um, you know, neutral rate and inflation expectations, and I'm not even sure if there's that many people who really look at the world that way, those guys are changing their mind as well. And there's a couple of things pushing them to change their mind. Are those the bond vigilantes from the eighties that their kids uh, are I think carrying just, a torch? I think there's <laughs> um old school <clears throat> yeah. macro guys from another generation. So if you look at like, interest rates like me. So, uh, old, old school I, I don't know. Huh? I don't know if I don't know how you look at <laughs> I, these. Uh okay. Anyway, I know. I'm you know so um I'm in the tar pit. So those guys, they think about rates as, you know, neutral plus inflation expectations as longer dated rates. Now, both of those things, I think, are being adjusted higher in market pricing. If you think about the neutral rate, you know, Fed traditionally thinks of it as two and a half percent. But it's very obvious that Fed raised rates five percent and the economy didn't really slow. So a lot of people are beginning to think that maybe the neutral rate is higher. If the neutral rate is higher, then interest rates have to be higher structurally going forward. And that feeds out into the 10-year. Okay. The next and, thing, of course, yeah. is inflation expectations. Now, there's a lot of noise, some really important people thinking that maybe we should raise the inflation target. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I know if that it happens, it's going to begin with a lot of important political people making a lot of noise. And that's happening now. Now, so if you're someone who's buying a 30-year treasury bond, 
you have to think to yourself a little bit, maybe within 30 years, and 30 years is a long time, maybe the Fed adjusts their inflation target, maybe to 3%, 2 to 3%. Now, I have to price that in a little bit, right? Because, right. Um, you know, if I get this wrong, I'm uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of money. It's uh, 30 years, a lot of duration there. So I think those things are happening as well, and that's going to put uh, upward pressure on interest rates. I'm more of the long end, and that would be a segue into your steepening stance. That um, yeah, I think it's very steepening. Okay, because uh, the long end is where they came out with most of the new supply. Uh, well, a that, month ago, right? Tons of factors. The, those two things that you just mentioned and we just discussed, but the Fed, I think, is trying to steepen the curve as well. How are they doing this? I think they're doing this because they're talking about not letting QT continue even when they start cutting rates next year. Now, usually you would expect the Fed to, you know, not if you're if they're cutting rates, you don't want to do QT, right? You want your balance sheet and your overnight interest rate to move in the same direction. You don't want to press on the gas and the brakes at the same time. That's traditional Fed thinking. But they're changing their mind now. They're saying that, you know, maybe these these we can do thing these two things at the same time. And so next year, when the Fed is going to cut rates a little bit because inflation has come down, they're talking about letting their balance sheet continue to shrink. Now, cutting rates is, of course, uh, making the lower shorter-term rates lower, and letting QT continue is putting upward pressure on longer-dated interest rates, right? So that that's a steepening posture. And so yeah. I think that's what the Fed wants. So uh, what will uh, bears hang their head on since they've been pointing towards an inverted curve for a few years now as being yeah, man, yeah, the pretty bears reliable? Been, huh? Yeah, what? well, the bears, guys, the bears who have been bearish on the uh, U.S. economy have been yeah, not wrong. just wrong, but ridiculously, Hilt. ridiculously wrong. Because the U.S. economy is not just going above trend, it's accelerating. Okay, so accelerating to the upside is the complete opposite of, of going into a recession. So uh, I, I think I think they they are I think they're they are they're probably going to be wrong on this again. So I, I don't think the inverted year curve tells you anything. Tells okay, you so tells you a lot. The world in the future uh, is not going to work the same way as the world did in the past. Any view on equities? Looks like there might be a little failing rally uh, here. Yeah, in yeah. Recipes. I think the the um, I think the highs are in for the year. I don't think we're going to crash, but uh, I think that as yields go higher, I think that's going to um, put a cap uh, on equities. You see that? So I want to be clear. So yesterday, I, with price action was really confusing to me. We had markedly higher yields. You know, the ten-year up nine basis points. We had the dollar right. strengthen, but equities seemed really resilient. So I there could be some some flows related to opex today. This month is a major September opex. Maybe that I'm not too sure, but the equity market uh, does seem pretty resilient to me. I, I don't think we're going to make new all-time highs or even make new annual highs, but I don't think we're going to crash. There seems to me a lot of surprising strength there. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at all the headwinds it's faced, Joseph. And I know I've fought the S&Ps uh, quite a few times this year, but I mean, you look at uh, the 10-year, uh, we're back at the uh, October highs, okay? Yeah. Um, you have uh, currency situations like uh, the yen. We're almost back at intervention levels at October. Uh, you have the yuan 
uh, at those levels, you know, that's where the S&P's bottomed in October. So you've had all these markets retraced to what was a critical low in the S&P's, and the S&P's have fought these headwinds all the way up. It's amazing to me. Uh, it's amazing to me as well. I would not have expected this, but um, but, but uh, it just seems like there's a lot of strength there. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see. I, uh, you know, most people are in the correction camp. I could see their reason, you know, maybe around 41, 4,200, a little bit more yeah. of a pullback in your view. Yeah, that, that's, I think that that's the exact phrasing I would, I would think uh, a pullback, but not a crash. And, um, okay. Yeah. Does this make the Fed's uh, job a little more difficult? I think on Labor Day, gas prices were the highest that they were in quite some time because we never really, I don't know, they could blame it on refineries or whatever. We never got huge price reductions on the break in crude. Uh, a lot of people are calling this a breakout that we could be headed for 95 or $100 crude. What does that do to the Fed's formula here? It makes the Fed's job a bit harder, right? So, I mean, we could see inflation reaccelerate. Now, the Fed tends to look at core inflation, which doesn't include these energy prices, but they'll have to pay attention to it if it's too high. And I think you raise a really good point about oil. So, so when you look at when I look at these markets now, I think we have to take more and more into consideration uh, global politics because obviously there's an economic war going on, right? Right. So when inflation is high, you have the Biden administration uh, basically emptying out the SPR to try to get oil prices lower. Right. That's a big political actor trying to push oil prices low. Now you have the uh, the uh, OPEC, especially the Saudis, fight back, right? They're like, they are restricting output, them and the Russians, right. and trying to get oil prices up. So there's an economic war going on. And it's not just on, in these oil things like, as well. Uh, we have to look at the big global economic relationship with the US and China, very yeah. obviously. Chips. The US is doing very, trying very hard to just kind of uh, uh, poke the dragon. And so, the dragon actually and, also has options to, to to fight back as well, and they well, haven't. Obvious. And they haven't yet, except well, in language. I, I what don't what know. do you think so, they're going to do? A they, very they obvious have thing to do. A very obvious thing to do, of course, is their huge holdings of treasury securities. Right, they can make interest rates go up a lot by by uh, just kind of selling them a bit. So, if this conflict is long lasting. If you think about it from the Chinese perspective, obviously I can't be holding a lot of uh, US, US debt or even US dollars because what happened to the Russians could happen to me. That's a huge vulnerability. So structurally speaking, uh, they have to get out of this, this trap somehow. And so for them, I think the most obvious uh, tool that they have to, to fight in this economic war is their influence on US interest rates through this tremendous treasury holdings. Now, They're not holding stuff, as much. Uh, uh, I would be careful. I would be careful about oh. interpreting that data okay. because that data is going to be based on market values. And as we all know, um, there was a big bear market in bonds last year, right? So that's going to yeah. make the prices of bonds go down. So I would not. I, I would be careful about that. So it's hard to know what actually the Chinese hold. It's a state secret for them. It's still a bear market. We could paste together some stuff indirectly, but but it's a state secret as to what they hold in their foreign reserves. Um, but hey, this is a tool that they have 
that they can use against the U.S. in this economic war that is happening, very obviously, right? That sanctions, you got all these export restrictions. Um, and now the Chinese, I saw the, uh, a headline today that they're telling the government agents to not use iPhones just in the same way. The U.S. doesn't like anyone using Huawei. So this is happening. And uh, oh, their obvious good. tool to me, of course, is uh, interest yeah. rates. Short Apple. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I wanted to wrap it with, you know, you said we were in a bear market. This rally or stabilization in the bonds, and you know what? I have to thank you, Joseph, because there are a few times I was thinking about bottom picking it for more of a bear market rally, and you would shake your head at me. No. <laughs> okay. So I, I think I, I think we get to four and a half on the 10 year by the end of the year. I, I think I okay. think we can see four and a half. Um, but okay. listen, if you want, if you want rates, so this is what I like. Um, so I, I think agency MBS are are better than treasuries because um, for one they're yielding more. Um, secondly, I, I think that you know the spreads between agencies MBS and, and treasury is are probably going to tighten because since mortgage rates went up so much, we have a lot of people who there's not a lot less supply, right? People are not getting mortgages at the same rate they used to. The supply is going to the supply supply, and I think people are, are still betting that soon we're going to have rate cuts and there's going to be this big wave of refinancing, um, and so that that's that's being priced into to the um, prepayments and mortgages. But I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. We might stay higher for longer in, in that sense. So some of the mortgage rates I think are offering maybe 10 to 15 percent yield, and if if the curve does steepen, wow. so the Fed cuts short rates and uh, maintains qt and i think that it'll play out well for for these uh for these uh, those businesses okay I, I just wanted to see if you could answer this question i don't know if i asked you last time but why do people have more confidence in junk look at that chart uh and less in corporates and tlt so why is hyg why does it have such a better looking structure and is held together better than sovereigns or corporate grade A, you know, investment grade corporates. Uh, my sense is that the uh, the junk stuff is shorter duration, so it's not as interest, not as impacted by interest rates. Okay. Um, that's probably why. Now, people have a feeling they have a higher percentage of getting paid uh, by you know issuers of junk than our own government well, to be clear credit 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 is doing well spreads are you know within historical ranges defaults are low um they're rising but they're still around historical ranges so there doesn't seem to be any credit problems uh in the in u.s businesses at this moment okay i wanted to uh show your your website great um so that you know people know where to go so that's Joseph Wang. Let me just go to my profile and we'll get it there. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Joseph, uh, you also have a course. All right. So yeah. So my, my, uh, my, my website is fedguy.com. And I, I mean, I, I also, so I have weekly uh, blog posts about what, how, what, what I think is happening in the markets, what's use, what's interesting. Um, from the perspective of a financial system, I have a bank, Central Banking 101, bestseller on Amazon, talking about how the financial system works. And I also have online courses called, um, added my website, centralbanking101.com, where I talk about uh, 
more teach about different macro asset classes. Um, so if you're interested in having just more of a foundational view on just global macro, uh, check it out. Uh, some of the courses are free. Okay. And, you know, to most people, what central bankers do is voodoo. So Joseph makes it, brings it out into the light so you can have an understanding as a layman. So like always, Joseph, thank you very much for, you know, sharing your views with us and edifying the face community. I appreciate it and wish you good fortune going forward. Uh, thanks, Coach. Happy trading, everyone. Uh, all right. Joseph Wing, everyone, follow him at Fed, FedGuy12. Adios, and you could join the team in about 15 minutes on the morning edge. Thank you again, Joseph. Adios, everyone. See you tomorrow. Don't just count your pips, count your blessings.